So again, I just want to say welcome. I want to say welcome to um, our virtual church, our church online, our Facebook family. Um, thank you guys for tuning in and listening to this message. Uh, special shout out to um, Gary Wozniak again, who undoubtedly will be listening to this and grading me on this uh, sermon. I just want to say that again, this is another type of uh, preaching that I'm not familiar with. It's again an expository sermon. Um, not my most comfortable way to preach, but you know, for the sake of learning and stretching myself and growing in Christ, I'm going to give it my best attempt. So um, I will do my best. If y'all are willing to be patient with me, I would greatly appreciate it and show me grace and mercy um, while I endeavor to uh, persevere through this. Um, as always, um, I always want to go to the Lord in prayer before presenting His Word. Yes, this is a, a school assignment. Yes, this is uh, to try and check mark a course off on the MSP program, but I'm still handling God's Word. I'm still presenting God's Word to you, and that's something that we should never take irreverently or lightly by any stretch of the imagination. So if you would, let's just go to the Lord in prayer, and let's just pray that this sermon is delivered beautifully and eloquently, but more so than that, let's pray that it's effective. Let's pray that it generates a change and a transformation in me as I, as I preach it, as I try to yield myself to the service of the Lord. And let's pray that it, it generates and creates a change and a transformation in you, that you become a greater, uh, that you gain a greater level of devotion to Christ, that your faith is increased and stretched and that you're pushed and motivated to, to dive in further than you ever have before and to follow Christ at an even greater um, level than you've ever done before. So let's just go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you again for another opportunity to preach your word. Lord, this is my greatest joy is to deliver your word. And Lord, I thank you for, for learning. I thank you for stretching us and pushing us beyond our comfort zone or where we'd kind of like to sit and rest and hide. But you take us and you stretch us. And that grows us and makes us even more capable ministers of the gospel. And I'm so thankful for that. Lord, as everyone that hears this, Lord, I pray that their ears would be unstopped, that their eyes would be open, that they'd be able to see the spiritual realities behind the text, that they'd be stretched and motivated to follow you at a, with greater fervor and zeal and at a greater capacity than they ever were before. I pray that their learning and their knowledge is increased, certainly, but I pray that their heart is expanded even more so than that and that their zeal for the things of God is expounded and expanded. Lord Jesus, we love you, we honor you, and we praise you. And I just pray that you bless our time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today we're going to be in James. We're going to be in James chapter 2. We're going to read verses 14 through 26. Um, this is going to be a conversation on faith. Um, for those of you who don't know, this is going to be a conversation on faith and works. Um, there's several passages that deal with this complicated relationship. Um, I know that sometimes this is... Uh, a battle or are we justified by works or are we justified by faith and we're sometimes back and forth and I want to propose that we're justified by faith and works that we're justified by our faith that's completed by our works uh, it's just like in life you know in our regular everyday life there are things that are made up of multiple components or things that are multifaceted you know each component is required to complete the whole 
Think about this. Fathers, I know that you're notorious for this, but it's just imagine, imagine this scene with me. It's five o'clock Christmas morning. The sun hasn't even risen yet. The coffee pot's not even on. And you're laying in bed trying to get a few more hours of snoozing. And the next thing you know, you got little toddlers running in and jumping on your bed, pouncing up and down, rushing you to the living room, to the Christmas tree, jerking and yanking gifts out and papers flying everywhere. And they're pulling toys out of boxes. And then they come across that faithful package. The one that says some assembly required. The one that has instructions that are so complicated that a rocket scientist couldn't figure it out. So here you go, diving in, trying to put this together, and it never fails. You either get the whole thing put together and you've got a handful of pieces that you have no idea what they're they're used for, or you're sitting there and you can't read the instructions or you refuse to read the instructions and you can't figure out how the pieces fit together and you're sitting there for hours on end. And then your wife comes along and she reads the instructions and puts together in like five minutes. Or my favorite, (laughs) I say that somewhat sarcastically, you're putting this toy together and you get the whole thing built, but like the last piece isn't in the box. It's just completely missing. It's not even, the toy won't even work right without it. It won't even respond. It, it, it won't even stay together. It's like the whole thing is worthless without this one piece. And you shake the box and the piece isn't there. And you look on the carpet around you. You look under the tree, under the couch to see if it somehow bounced away. Um, and you realize the piece just wasn't in the box. The toy's completely worthless without it required all the pieces to finish that whole. All the pieces were required for that to be assembled correctly. And so you can see that in natural life, there are things that are multifaceted and that require more than one piece. The same is true of our spiritual life. Just as in life, there are things that require multiple components to complete the whole. So also in our spiritual life, there are things that require more than one component to have a complete entity. Faith is one of these things. Faith consists of more than just the single component of belief. Faith is completed by works. And you may be asking yourself, how do works complete our faith? Isn't our faith just saying, I believe? Yes, that's an aspect of it. But James labors this point that faith without works is dead. Let's just, let's just jump to the Scripture and see what James has to say about it. He can say it so much better than I can. This is James chapter 2 starting in verse 14. It would help if I was on the right page. Um, James chapter 2 verse 14. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but he has no works? Listen to this. Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says, Go in peace, be warmed, and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? I can almost hear the sarcasm in his voice. Even so... Faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But someone may well say, 
You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him, or accounted to him, as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. So again, going back to that that story about the item or the toy that needed all of those components and without any of those components missing, you don't have a complete whole. Faith is the same way. Faith requires works to be complete. So you're asking, how do works complete our faith? Well, James says here that faith, can faith alone save us or is faith without works dead? So let's look at what use is faith without works? When he says, and he gives this example in verses 15 and 16, he says, if a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food. So if a brother or sister doesn't have clothes, they don't have a jacket, and maybe it's in the middle of winter. This is just the mental images that I get. Yours may be different. I see someone walking up in the middle of the snow, you know, almost like a Thomas Kincaid painting. You have somebody walking up, and it's like three feet of snow, little house on the prairie style, and they're tapping on that cabin door, and they're freezing. They don't have any clothes on, completely, you know, down to their undergarments in the snow and they're knocking on the door, you know, freezing and they, they haven't eaten. And so and their body's like emaciated, skin and bones, and they're shivering, cold chills. You know, you got ice hanging from their chin and from their ears. This is just the mental image that I get. You know, it's almost to the point of absurdity just to illustrate the point. And you stand in the doorway with your big Eskimo jacket on, holding like a big turkey leg in your hand, and you just say, brother, sister, be warm and filled. And then shut the door in their face. James is like, what good is that? What, what does that do for them? What use is that for them? Does that benefit them? Do they just walk away completely warm and ready to take on the three foot of snow that's surrounding them? Do they, do they have to rub their full belly now because your words um, or your workless words did something for them and nourished them? No, he's using this rhetorical question to illustrate that if you did that, you would be condemning them to freezing to death, condemning them to starvation because you did nothing to benefit them. 
And the point is taken to illustrate that if you say that you have faith, you have to be able to demonstrate that faith with works. You have to be able to back that up because if you don't have works, then you cannot have faith. Or your faith is useless without works. Your faith is dead without works. So then he proceeds on and he says, again, even so faith, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. And then he goes on to say this, Someone may well say you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith. Show me the faith without works. Show me the faith that you say that you have without any works. And I'll show you my faith by my works. So what he's trying to illustrate here is that if you don't have any works, if your faith doesn't generate an outward work, if your inward faith doesn't generate an outward work, then you can't show it. You can't demonstrate it because there's nothing there to demonstrate. It's hollow. It's empty. It's dead. It's useless. And he's saying, but I can demonstrate to you the fact that I do believe, the fact that I do have faith by the very works that I do. You see the works that I do and you can almost guarantee that I have a faith motivating them. That it's not that the works justify me. It's that the works are a outward demonstration of the inner faith that I possess. It's almost, he says it this way, that faith is perfected by the resulting works. So it's like faith is only half of the equation. Or, and to say it another way, that works are the visible fruits of an inward faith. That you can't see the faith, but you can see the things and the works that the faith produces. So the question is, are we justified by faith? Are we justified by works? Or better yet, are we justified by a working faith? And James begins to to bring forth these examples. He brings forth the example of Abraham. That Abraham was justified by a faith that produced a work. The faith that justified, it was the faith that justified him. But it was a working faith faith that justified him. It was not just a mere belief or confession only. And let's let's just skip down here to where he where he's at. He says, "But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless?" And here's the example that he backs up that that strong emotional statement with. That statement has a lot of crass to it. Are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? And he says, was not Abraham, was not Abraham our father? Now, you've got to understand the Jewish culture that everything is attributed back to Abraham, the father of faith. That, That the whole scheme of the national religion of the Jews is contained in the fact that they attribute their lineage back to Abraham who made a covenant with God. So, was not Abraham our father? So, the very father of faith, The very father, the one who is the patriarch of the entire Jewish nation, the one who they attribute their religion to, our religion started with Abraham. So when he does that, he's going back to the primary example. He's like, this is how it started with Abraham. It isn't saying this is some new thing, this is some different thing. He pulls it back to the very foundation of Judaism, the very foundation of the the Israeli religion. He says... He says, was not Abraham our father 
justified by works. Wait a second. Was not Abraham our father justified by works? Not by faith, by works. And what he's meaning here is a working faith. And you can see that demonstrated by the passage. That he's talking about the works that flow from the faith. Don't get it confused. Abraham wasn't just justified by works only. He was justified by works. Meaning that his faith was perfected by the works. And so it was the works in essence that completed the justification process. So he was justified by faith. But that justification wasn't completed until that faith was a working and active and actual living faith on the inside of him. And there has to be works for that faith to be just a justifying faith. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac his son on the altar? So essentially what he's saying here, he says you see that faith was working with his works. And as a result of the works, his faith was perfected or matured or made complete. So it was the faith that justified him, but his faith was incomplete until the works were added. So the reason he's saying he was justified by works is because without the works, there would be no justification because the justification only comes by a working faith, a faith that is living, a faith that is useful, a faith that has the works following. And what he's saying, the example that he's using Um, Many of you know the story of Abraham offering up Isaac. But imagine if God would have came to Abraham and said, offer up Isaac your only son. And Abraham's response would have been, okay, God, I'll do it. I believe. I believe in you, Jesus. I'm sorry. I believe in you, Jehovah. I believe in you, Yahweh. And God says, no, offer up Isaac. But Abraham says, I believe. I believe. I believe. But there was no work. He didn't take Isaac to offer him. He just kept saying, I believe, and throwing it back on his belief. That would have been a useless, unjustifying faith. And Abraham never would have received the following fulfillment of Scripture, which says Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God. And it's attributed that Abraham believed because his belief was an actual living belief that produced a work. He didn't just say, I believe. He acted on that belief. He let that belief produce something in him. He followed through with that belief until a work was manifested and carried out. He didn't just say, when God came to him and said, offer up Isaac, he didn't just say, I believe in you, God. No, he said, okay. He went and did it. And so his work Or his faith was backed by a work and it was completed and it was perfected. And then it was attributed to him as righteousness. And Abraham was called the friend of God. And that's not the only example he puts forth. You see that James also offers up another example. It goes on down. In the same way was not Rahab the harlot. Rahab the harlot, the prostitute. That's That's what that word means. The prostitute. Also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. Think about this. Rahab, in that conversation, um, a, l- a little backstory, not deviating from the text, but just you know, exposing the reality that's being discussed here. Joshua sent the spies in. He sent the two spies into Jericho. They hid in Rahab's house. And her words to them were reminiscent of, We've known all the nations fear you because we know that your God is with you. So she's showing forth that she believes. 
But then she hides them and lets them out through a window and covers them to establish a covenant with the children of Israel so that her house is ultimately spared from um, the conquering Israelites when they take over Jericho and the walls fall. Her house is ultimately spared because of this covenant. But imagine if she would have just said, oh, everybody knows that God, that your God is with you. And everybody's scared. But she didn't back any work. She didn't hide the spies. She didn't let them out by the window. Her faith would have been a, it would have been belief. She wouldn't have not believed, but it wouldn't have been useless. It wouldn't have benefited the spies. They ultimately might have been captured and killed. And then Joshua might have went in without having the feedback from the spies. You don't know. That's just open to mere speculation. But because she believed and then she backed that belief by a work, it was a justifying work that ultimately established the covenant between her and the children of Israel. And even earns her a place, um, we won't go there, you know, because we don't want to deviate from our expository uh, sermon here, but it even earned her a place in the Hebrews Hall of Fame of faith. It earns her a mention by James here in this passage that she was justified by a faith that produced a work. So you see, going back to verse 24 right there, um, I know I'm skipping around a little bit, but I want you to see the, the point that James is laboring here. You see that a man... And that word man or woman, you see that an individual, that a human, that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And what he's saying here is not that it's your works that justify you. We know that it's faith in Christ alone that justifies you. But what he's saying is, is you are justified by the works that complete the faith. That you're justified by faith, but if your faith doesn't have a work and doesn't produce anything, that it's not an actual faith. Faith that doesn't produce a work is dead being alone or being by itself. And so he concludes this, look at verse 26. For just as the body without the spirit or just as the body without the breath is dead, so also is faith without works dead. I didn't do the research, but I, you can only go without breath for just a few minutes or go without breathing for just a few minutes before you die. And what he's saying here is if there's no breath in the body, the body's dead. The same is true if there's no works, the faith is dead. So imagine a human without breath. It's a corpse laying on a slab. The same is true of a faith that doesn't have a work. So if your faith is saying, I believe, I believe, I believe, but it doesn't produce anything in your life, there's no change, there's no difference between you having faith, quote unquote, versus before you had faith, that your conversion was a simple prayer and there was no transformation in your life, that you don't look any different than the world, that your faith doesn't produce anything in your life, that no decision that you make is motivated by your faith, then your faith is a dead faith. It's the equivalent of a human corpse laying on a slab without breath, Faith without works is dead being alone. Faith without works is useless. Faith without works is worthless. It's even so much so that James takes it to this point. And I skipped over this verse because I wanted to use it as kind of almost an exclamation point. But going back to it, verse 19, you believe that God is one. This is what the confession is, the popular thing, is, is just believe, just believe, just believe. And this is why I'm laboring this point so hard is that faith without works is dead. Because he says, you believe that God is one. You do great. That's wonderful. So do the devils. So do the demons. 
and they shudder, they tremble. They, they don't just believe, but they also have the fear of God, but they don't have the works. They don't have the transforming faith. They just have the belief. So if your belief is just that and there's no works behind your faith, then your faith is the equivalent or comparable to the faith of demons and devils. Is that what you want? Is that what I want? My faith to be this on the same platform and the same plane as the faith of demons and devils? Because that's the extent that James takes it to here, to here in this passage. Is that if our faith doesn't have works, then our faith is roughly the equivalent of the faith of demons and devils. And it's useless. And it's lifeless. And ultimately it's worthless. And it's not a justifying faith at all. We are justified by a faith that produces a work. So now, now that you have seen that your, your faith is dead if it stands alone, if it stands apart from works, you can understand that it requires works to complete your faith. So con- the conclusion would be, without any accompanying works, your faith is little better than that of the devil's. So you must allow your faith to produce a work in you that will benefit those around you. And ultimately, it will make your faith tangible. And your faith won't simply be an abstract confession or belief, but your faith will be a real and active and useful and living and ultimately justifying faith.